Ephesians and talking about what it looks like to go from death to life. Uh, the last time we were in Ephesians, we began talking about the fact that we're called to walk in a new way. We're called to walk according to the way that God has called us to walk. And we talked about how a walk isn't necessarily the, the, you know, the swagger that we have when we walk, but it's actually our way of life, the way that we do things. And so this morning, as we get into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, is what, what we see is that Paul begins to unpack for us some of the way that we walk, and he begins to use a different uh, metaphor, a different illustration for us to understand it. And so as we walk through here, we're going to see uh, that he calls us to put on Christ, to put on a new way of living, almost as if we're putting on a, a, a new suit of clothes, if you will, a, a new way uh, to live. And so almost like we're putting on Jesus, like a new suit of clothes. Have you, have you guys ever noticed how what you wear changes the way people look at you? I, I know yesterday uh, we were at a, uh, Seth and Allison's wedding and, and Miss Christie, she was there and she said, oh, you look like a real preacher today or something like that. She may have said it, she probably said a little different than that, but she said, oh, you look like a preacher. And I was like, yeah, don't tell nobody, they'll expect us all the time. But uh, it's hot, you know, wearing a suit. But, but when, you're, when you're wearing a suit, you look a little differently. Maybe you know, people might listen to me more if I wear a suit. I don't know. But, but uh, you know, like when you go to the doctor and they're sitting there and they're in their white coat and they have their stethoscope around their neck, you might listen to them a little more than when they're sitting there in street clothes. What's the difference? They're still a doctor, right? But the, the suit that they're wearing, the clothes that they're wearing shows you uh, what their profession is, shows what they're about, shows who they are. Now, when they take off that suit of clothes, when they change, are they different? No, they're still a doctor, right? They still are qualified to practice medicine, but you just don't necessarily see it. The same thing is true for, for believers in Christ. As we walk with Him, we don't always look like Him. We don't always walk in Christ. We don't always, we're not always clothed in Him. doesn't mean we're not believers. doesn't mean we're not Christians. But it's really hard to tell sometimes, isn't it? And so as we walk through that, this passage this morning, I want us to keep that in mind. Paul is not here saying, here's how you become a Christian He's saying this is what a Christian looks like and this is how a Christian behaves. So you're a, you're a believer, act like it, if you will. So let's look at Philippians chapter, or not Philippians, we're in Ephesians, aren't we? Y'all started to flip, didn't you? No, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, I pray that you'd be with us God, as we walk through your word together this morning, I pray that you would show us what you want us to see. Give us the strength we need to do what you want us to do. Help us to respond to you in repentance and in faith this morning, God. Help me to preach in such a way that you receive honor and praise and people are changed and are edified and grow in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, as I say, Paul is calling us to live a different way. God is calling us to live a different way. And so he says, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And so the, the first thing we see here is that in order to walk in the right direction, first thing we've got to do is stop walking in the wrong direction. That's why I get to be a pastor, because I figured that out all on my own. If you're going to walk in the right direction, that means you can't be walking in the wrong direction. And so he says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This is really interesting because he's writing to Gentiles. Ethnically speaking, these folks are not Jewish people. For the most part, there may have been some Jews in the congregation, but they're mostly a Gentile congregation. But he says you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, you see, Gentile can either mean 
ethnic background or it can also mean moral background. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't walk like you walked before you became one of God's people. Your ethnicity hasn't changed, but your people group has changed. You've gone from being a Gentile to being God's people. And so you walk as if you are God's people, not as though you are far from God. He says, don't walk like the Gentiles do. And then he goes to describe what it looks like to walk through life, to act as though you are not in Christ. And so he begins to lay out a a very depressing picture of what it looks like to not be in Jesus. He says here that they, they walk in the futility of their minds. They walk in the meaninglessness, the vanity of their minds. They are chasing the way that their mind works. The, their worldview values things that do not matter, values things that are not important, things that are going to lead to nothingness. I, you know, like what Solomon said, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. And then he ends up saying, except for what you do in the Lord. When we are walking as Gentiles, we are walking according to the way that this world views things. We're walking according to their value system, and we're valuing the things that God doesn't value. He's saying it, it, it's pointless, it's meaningless. I, I, I remember growing up, and Mom used to try and make us make her bed. I guess she did make us make her bed. Let me rephrase that. But I, my response was, what's the point? I'm just going to mess it up again. Right? I mean, my bed's just going to get messy when I lay back down in it. What's the point of having it made up? Or, you know, the best is, is when you forget to make it in the morning and you come back and you know, you're, you're supposed to make it before you get into it. It's like, I, I don't get this. Like, this is pointless, right? That's what Paul's talking about only on a larger scale. You're like, it is point. there is a point to making a bed. Okay, that's fine. We can talk about that later. But, but, uh, but we, he's saying that before we came to Christ, everything we did was empty. It was vanity. There was no point to it. Everything we were looking at had no real substance to it. And so he says they are walking in the futility of their minds. And then verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So they're darkened in their understanding. They're groping around in the dark trying to find truth and there's no truth to be found where they're looking. There's no light in their life. There's no one directing their path. They are blinded by their sin and by their inability to follow God. And so they hear God's Word. They may even uh, have people preach God's Word to them, but they cannot see the truth that is God's Word. They cannot see the truth of the Gospel. Their minds are darkened. It's hidden from them. The truth is hidden from them. Imagine walking around without being able to see. He says that's where we were without Christ, spiritually speaking. And he goes on and he says that they're alienated from the life of God. They're far from God. They are separated from God. They are not walking with God. They are not in relationship with God. They are separated from the life that God's offering. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them, because they don't know who God is, because they don't know uh, what God offers. Well, why do they not know? Due to their hardness of heart. When the gospel comes to them, it bounces off. They hear the gospel... And they say, I don't want that. That's not for me. They hear about Jesus. No, that's not for me. I don't need that. For whatever reason, there's all kinds of reasons uh, people give for not believing on Christ. You know, they they have all sorts. Either they're too smart or they're too righteous or Christians are too hypocritical. And there's all sorts of excuses. But the end result is, is that they've decided to harden their heart and they will not listen. They've chosen no matter what they hear, they will not respond to God. He says, don't walk like those folks 
who refuse to hear from God's Word. Don't continue to walk in the wrong direction. Turn around and begin to walk in the right direction. Walk in the way that is pleasing to the Lord. And so verse 19, it gets even worse. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so he says here that they they have become callous. Any of you guys ever have any calluses on your hands? You know, I used to, I, back in the day, I used to work out a lot and I had calluses on my hands. My hands are pretty smooth these days because I, I guess I don't do a whole lot of hard labor. But, so my hands are pretty smooth. But when you have calluses on your hands, you can't really feel anything. He's saying that their, their hearts are hardened. They're callous to the point that they can sin against God and it doesn't bother them. They can look, that the word here has the idea that you can look at something and see the consequences and decide to do it anyway. I remember uh, when a little boy that I know was younger, I won't tell you who he is, but uh, I, I had a signal for him that meant you're about to get a spanking. I would go, you want some of this? And he'd say, oh, and he would stop. Well, I remember one time he was doing something. He was a long distance away from me. He looked back at me. I said, you want some of this? And he went, I mean, he just whipped himself right there and went ahead and did it anyway. And that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying we're looking at the consequences. We're looking at what we're about to do. We see what the result is going to be, and we do it anyway. We say, I, I don't care what it's going to cost me. I don't care how bad it's going to hurt. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do this. Why? Because I want to, because this is what I want. And you notice what he says here. They have given themselves up. Uh, to sensuality. This word sensuality is pleasure. And so, so it's not just related necessarily only to sexual sin. This is any kind of sin. It's any kind of pleasure. They've given themselves up to whatever makes them feel good. They are hardened their hearts and they say, I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. I'm going to do what pleases me. It doesn't matter if it costs everybody around me everything. It doesn't matter if it costs me everything. I'm going to do it because it's going to feel good and I'll just take the spanking for it afterwards. That, he says, is the attitude of those who are not walking the way that God would have us to walk. An attitude that says, I'm, I've, I've given up myself to sin. You notice it says here, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Greedy, we, we understand greed, right? That's never being satisfied. No matter how much impurity we practice, no matter how much sin we indulge in, it's never quite enough. One more time. This time it'll be different. This time it'll be better. I don't even feel bad about doing this anymore. Here's what Paul is getting at. The mindset that says, God is not in charge of my life. God will not tell me what to do. It's the mindset that says, I'm going to do whatever makes me feel good, and I don't care. What we learn from this, guys, is that struggling with sin is not necessarily the problem. Giving in to sin is the problem. We're going to struggle with sin. As long as we are this side of heaven, we will struggle with sin. Sometimes we think that struggling with sin is the issue. It's not. Struggling with sin is actually kind of a good thing in the believer's life. First John uh, chapter 1, verses, uh, four, uh, verses 8 and 9 tells us that if anyone says that they have no sin, they are a liar and the truth is not in them. He says that they deceive themselves. He says, but if, if we uh, if confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have no sin, we're trying to call God a liar. And so struggling with sin, that's part of the Christian walk. We're going to struggle with sin. There are going to be things that we do that we know we ought not to have done and we are going to repent and we're going to come back and say, God, I I should not have done that. The problem is, is when we begin to say, 
I'm going to sin even though I know it's wrong and I don't care. That's where we know we're not walking according to what God has called us to walk to. We're walking according to our own heart and our own pleasures. And that's where we find ourselves so far from God and not walking covered in Christ, not living as though Christ has saved us. And so we come to verse 20. And here's where um, things get a a little better. We're still going to have to work through some of this. But verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. He says that way of living is not the way you have learned Christ. Christ, because I love this verse right here because it reminds us of a truth that that is so valuable. Paul does not say that is not the way you learned about Christ. He does not say that is not according to the facts that you heard about Jesus. He says, no, that is not how you learned Christ. He's pointing out that Jesus is a real-life being, a real-life person that lived a very real life, and that the point of the Bible, the point of God's Word to us, is not simply to give us facts. It's not simply to give us trivia. It's actually to teach us about Jesus. It's to teach us Jesus so that Jesus comes and lives within us. It's not, okay, I'm going to live the way that Jesus wants me to live. No, it's that Jesus comes and lives in our heart, and then He lives through us. The Holy Spirit comes and He fills us and He strengthens us and He changes us. He says, that's not the way you learned Christ. So often we want to turn the Bible into a trivia book or into a fact book. And, and guys, it's not. It's not a textbook. It's not a book that where we can come and have all of our little idle curiosities figured out and everything. We don't know. You know, we, we have those conversations all the time. Where did Cain get his wife from? What about this? What about that? That's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is to show us Jesus, to introduce us to Him. And He comes in and He changes us. Paul says that's not the way you learn Jesus. It's not just that you learned about Jesus, you learned Him. As you read His Word and as He lives within you, He changes you and you learn from Him as He walks with you through life. Like He's a real person who actually impacts your life on a day-to-day basis. He says that's not the way you learn Jesus. Jesus does not teach you to do whatever you want. Jesus teaches you to live according to God's Word, not according to your own pleasure. And so he says, that's not how you learned Jesus. And then also we see in verse 21, it's interesting here, he says, assuming that you have heard about him. He's like, okay, I just, I'm, we're going to, for the sake of argument, we're going to assume that you have heard about him and that you were taught in him, or, or better translation here is by him, that you were taught by him. Jesus teaches us as we walk with him, as the truth is in Jesus. Paul is pointing out here that Jesus, like I said, is a real historical figure. He's not some ideal out there. He actually lived, he breathed, and he died on the cross in our place, and he rose again. And he's not dead, he's alive. And when we believe on him, he comes in, he lives within us, and he changes our life. Paul says, that's who you are. Now put him on. Put on the things he has given you. Don't, don't simply continue to live the way you used to live. And so he goes on and he says this. He says, assuming that you were taught uh, by him or uh, through him, as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, this is what we were taught. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So to put off your old self, this is the garment, this is the old suit. You're putting off your old clothes. How many of you, if you fell in a mud hole and went and took a shower and put back on the same old muddy clothes? Except for boys. I may have tried that once or twice. I can't remember as a child. You know, it's just too much work to go get new clothes. It's like, I'm just going to put these back on. I was like, what are you doing? All right? but, uh, but 
but there's something about putting on dirty clothes after you've gotten clean. It doesn't make any sense, does it? He says, take off the old clothes. Take off the old way of living. Put off your old self, your old life. Why are you continuing to live as though Christ has not come in and changed you? Put on the new life. Put on the new heart. Put on the new way of living. But he, but he says that it's corrupt through deceitful desires. This word corrupt is rotten or nasty or, or spoiled. You guys know, if you've been here any time at all, you know how much I hate rotten milk. Like, it's one of my greatest fears outside of being heard singing. Like, I, I hate rotten milk. I've drank rotten milk on several occasions in my life, and I didn't know it was rotten until after I drank it. You know, of course, but I just want to point that out. Like, it looked good, and I drank it, and it was nasty. Like, just a couple of weeks ago, we had some milk in our fridge that had expired, and it looked good. I poured a glass, and I took a big, because I don't sip milk, I gulp it, right? I mean, if you're going to drink milk, you get a big drink. It was like buttermilk. I was, I was, oh, it was so gross. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't buy milk anymore. I'm like, Crystal, if that's how it's going to be, I'm not buying it. You've got to buy it because I don't want to drink rotten milk. But, but he says that our old life was rotten, that it was spoiled, it was nasty. He says, don't put that back on. Why would you put that old life back on? And he tells you why it was nasty. Through deceitful desires. What were the Gentiles running after? They were running after every sensuality, every pleasure, every desire. He says your old life was spoiled by deceitful desires. Why does he use the word deceitful? Because Satan will lie to you. He will tell you that those desires will actually satisfy you. He will tell you those pleasures will actually fill you up and make you better and, and finally sustain you and they won't actually ruin your life this time. And he's lying he says, why would you want to go back to that? Why would you want to go back and, and, and eat your own vomit as a dog does? We read about that in Proverbs. I know that's nasty. But that's the picture we get of going back and living in sins, in sin that God has saved us from. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Here in verse uh, 23. Be re- and be renewed, or to be renewed. I can see it if I hold it up here. There's a reason I bought a large print Bible. But anyway, uh, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And so he tells us this is what we ought to do. We ought to put off the old way of living and be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Here's the, here's the deal, guys. The old way of living was governed by the old way of thinking. Remember the futility of their minds. The, the Gentiles are running after everything that doesn't matter. They're running after everything that is pointless. They're worshiping false gods. It's a, it's a pointless existence. And so to be renewed is to have a new way of thinking. The new way of thinking leads to the new way of living. If you want to stop living into or walking into the wrong direction, you have to have a new way of thinking, a new way to process the information that you have coming at you every day. It means that instead of going first to the culture and saying, how should I live? What should I love? How, where, where should I go? You go to God's Word and you say, God, how should I live? What should I love? Where should I go? It's a completely opposite view, completely different worldview about what matters and what doesn't matter between the believer and between the person who's not a believer. See, the non-believer would say, God doesn't matter. God takes no, uh, has no say whatsoever in what I do. Where the believer would say, God has every say in everything I do. It's a new way of thinking. To have your mind renewed means that you do study God's Word so that you can learn Christ, so that you can learn what God is calling you to do. You spend time with His people so that people can, can invest in you and share with you what Christ is calling you to do and hold you accountable to those things. 
It means you pray and you, you, you spend time in the Word and you spend time with the Holy Spirit as He guides you and He directs you, as He gives you a new way to think. Because if you're not thinking right, you're not going to be acting right. The way that your mind works is the way that you are going to act. The things that you care about are the things that you are going to ultimately put all your time into. So is your mind set on the things that don't matter or are they set on the things that matter forever? Look at verse 24 with me, if you would. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, Jesus doesn't come in and just remodel us. It says that he's going to put, we put on the new self. We have a new heart. We are brand new in him. Like, since we moved in to the house that, that Crystal and I live in, I, before we moved in, I was like, oh, we'll, you know, we'll do this and we'll do that. Oh, it's going to be fine, sweetie. You'll see. It's going to be amazing, right? I'm going to do all this work. It's going to be good. Not all of that's gotten done, but some of it has, right? We've been remodeling slowly, very slowly, but very surely. Slow and steady wins the race, correct? Right? She's not even in here. Y'all can agree with me, but slow and steady wins the race, right? So we're remodeling, and it doesn't matter if we tear out all the walls and put in new walls. It doesn't matter if we paint. It doesn't matter if we tear up all the flooring and put in new flooring. It's still not going to be a new house. It may look new. It may look newer, but it's not going to be new. Jesus doesn't come in and just simply remodel. He comes in and, and tears the thing to the ground and builds us back up. He gives us a brand new heart and a brand new life. He says, and so Paul says, put on the new life. Why are you putting on the old clothes? Why are you putting on the old way of living? Put on the new way of living. Put on the new way of thinking. Quit going back to who you used to be. He says that we are created after the likeness of God. That reminds us of Genesis 1, right? God created us in his image. Let us create man after our own image or after our own likeness. He recreates us in Christ after his likeness. As we walk with him, he continuously changes us and makes us new into who he would have us to be. So the more we're like God, the more uh, we'll be walking with him. And so the more we see of him, the more uh, we will be like him. And so, uh, and, and true righteousness and holiness. Who's the only one who can have true righteousness and holiness? Jesus. And so we look more like Jesus every day. And so what does this look like? What does true righteousness and holiness look like? Verses 25 through 32, uh, pull this out for us. And I'll sort of speed up a little bit. I just realized that. I'm behind where I thought I would be. But verse 25, uh, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So Paul goes in, he says, this is what it looks like to live the new life. The first thing is stop lying. But replace the lying with speaking the truth. What's the greatest truth we can speak? The gospel to one another. We can speak God's word to each other. But not just that, don't lie. Don't lie about yourself. Don't lie about God. Don't lie about the things in your life. Tell the truth. Put away falsehood and instead speak truth. Each one of these negatives, Paul follows up with a positive. We don't just take something away. We replace it. So where before we were telling lies, that's the old way of living. Now we speak truth and love. He's already said in love in the verses before this. That's sort of important, isn't it? Because truth not spoken in love usually doesn't go very well. And so we put away our lying and we begin to tell the truth. Then verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And then verse 27, And give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry and do not sin. What does that mean? Does that mean be angry and you don't sin as long as you don't hit nobody? Like, is that, is that what he's getting at? Well, no, what, what he's talking about is, is that there's, some, there's different levels of anger, right? There's some anger that, that is justified. Like, there's some, some justified righteous anger. When we hear about people being mistreated, we hear about what people do to other people, like the, the shootings that go on. It's right for us to be angry about what these people have done. 
It's right to have this righteous anger. It's right when we see people taking God's word and taking Jesus and trying to use them for their own selfish gain to hurt other people. It's right for us to have a, a righteous indignation, a righteous anger about that. We see Jesus doing that, right? I mean, he ran people out with a whip out of the temple because they were mistreating the people in the temple, trying to worship God. So that, there's that type of anger, but I don't even think that's necessarily what Paul's talking about here. He says, be angry and do not sin. Then he tells you the second part, don't let the sin go down on your anger. So the type of anger that he's talking about here is the type of anger that we don't actually act on, that we decide before. So like when, you, when you're angry, like, let's be honest, how many of us control, can control every single time we ever have the emotion of anger? None of us, right? Let's be honest. Somebody pulls out in front of you and almost kills you and your family. You're going to be angry. What are you going to do about it next? That's where you figure out if you sin or not. If you chase them down and that sort of thing, that's probably acting in anger. I would call that sin. But to be angry and not sin is to say, whoa, that was close. You know, forgive them and continue on. And we could go through more personal stories and more personal things as far as relationships goes. We won't do that because I'm sure you can all kind of picture, oh, yeah, I kind of acted in anger in this moment. Oh, yeah, I did respond in anger. And so he says, be angry and do not sin. You may have the emotion of anger, but what you do after that determines whether or not you sin. And so he says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Decide right then, that day, to either let it go or to go to that person and deal with it. Because here's what happens. We allow things to fester in our heart. We allow little bitty issues, little bitty problems just to continue to build up and snowball in our life. And the next thing you know, we're standing there and you know, we're getting berated uh, because we didn't empty the dishwasher. We're like, what did I do? Why does this show that I don't love you? And you're like, oh wait, this probably has something to do with this and this, right? I, I mean, I'm not saying that actually happened in my home. It didn't happen in my home. That's a totally fictitious story, but we could probably all tell a story pretty close to that, couldn't we? So to have, to not let the sun go down on your anger is to have a very short list. We were at a wedding yesterday and, and I shared this there too. To have a very short list and tear it up as often as we can. A very short list of gripes and grudges and tear it up as soon as we can. That's to not give space to the devil. Because what the devil will do is he'll sneak in the back door and he'll use all those things that you've been hanging on to to, to begin to separate you from the people in your life. To begin to use you to hurt them. Because you won't even realize it. But you'll begin to act towards them in anger. Over stuff that doesn't even deserve anger. And so he says, be angry and do not sin. Don't give a place to the devil. Don't let the devil in your house, right? But then he goes from there and he says, uh, so verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So here we replace stealing with work. Stop stealing stuff and go to work so that you can give to other people. See, the, the, the futile mind, the Gentile mind says, if I ain't got it and I can't pay for it, I'll just take it. That's the old way of living. The new way of living is I will work for it. But I'm not going to work for it just to work for it. I'm going to work for it. You notice what he says here, so that you can have something to share with anyone in need. The Gentile mindset is I'm going to work for it and I get to keep it. The Christian mindset is that the way that Christ is raising us is I'm going to work for it so that I can give it away, so I can serve those who are in need. A picture of this, think about Zacchaeus. 
A man who, the wee little man, the wee little man was he? The wee will man? The wee wee will man? I gave it, sorry. He stole from everyone around the sycamore tree, right? What happened after Jesus came into his life? He stood up and he said, if I stole anything, I'm going to pay it back fourfold and I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor. That's what Paul's talking about here. I'm going to stop stealing, I'm going to start working, and I'm going to give to the people in my life. And so it's a replacement of greed with generosity. That is actually our Sunday school lesson this morning, which is interesting. But, and so, so Paul says here, the old way of living was to take, the new way of living is to give. And then as he continues on here, he says in verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This word corrupting, remember rotten milk? Don't let anything that's going to ruin the people around you come out of your mouth. Do not use your mouth to tear down. Use your mouth to build up. Use the words that come out of your mouth to strengthen the people in your life. So don't, and he'll get to hear in a minute of slander and gossip and those sorts of things and insults. Don't do that. Instead, build up. Guys, we have an opportunity when we speak to each other to encourage one another, not to tear down. In Matthew twelve thirty six, Jesus says that we will give an account for every idle word we ever speak. Be careful that what comes out of your mouth actually imparts grace. So we replace tearing down with building up. The old way of living is to say things that hurt people. The new way of living is to say things that actually help people. So positive, not negative. Uh, and so, you know, you, your mom was only halfway right. If you ain't got nothing to say, don't say anything at all. Paul says, if you ain't got nothing nice to say, find something nice to say. And so, find something good to say. Build the people in your life up. And then, and so he goes on in verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so when we don't build each other up but tear each other down, we grieve the Holy Spirit, which leads into verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Guys, to put on the new life, to put on Christ, is to put away bitterness. Sometimes I feel like our, our hearts sort of look like the face of my, my son when he was young. He used to think they would be cool to take a lemon and put it in his mouth in the restaurant. And his face was just kind of, you know, he's like, like it's going to suck in on itself. I think sometimes that's what our hearts look like. When we don't deal with the anger and those different things in our lives, we become bitter. That's not putting on the new man. That's not putting on Christ. That's not living as God has called us to live. That's living in the opposite direction. The same thing with anger, these outbursts uh, of anger and wrath and clamor when everybody's yelling at each other and slander when we begin to talk about each other. He says, put that away from you. Gossip is a terrible thing. That's not putting on Christ. Along with all malice, hoping for other people to be hurt, doing things to intentionally hurt other people. He says, put it away. Hoping that other people get theirs, right? I mean, that, that mindset. He says, put it away from you. That's not putting on the new man. That's living like those who live in the futility of their mind, who believe that they are the most important person in the universe, and what they want to happen is what should happen. He says, that's the opposite of what God has called us to. So put away bitterness, uh, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, uh, and, and malice. And so let me get to verse 32, because this is really where I wanted to get to. Uh, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And so we replace bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor with kindness. 
So when we see someone fall, we see someone hurt, we don't go over and we don't stand on them and talk to everybody else about them. We go over and we lift them up and we say, I'm so sorry that this has happened to you. How can we help you make sure you don't fall in this, this way again? Instead of using that opportunity in a form of malice to slander that person, we use that opportunity to lift them up. When, when we see someone hurting, we go and we speak kindness to them. We, when someone messes up, we speak kindly to them. This tender-heartedness, this is the opposite of hard-heartedness. Our hearts are open to God as opposed to being closed to God. Our hearts are open to the people around us as opposed to being closed to the people around us. They're not callous. They are open and willing to hear from the Lord and willing to be convicted by His Word and by the people in our lives. And so tender-heartedness. And then forgiving one another. This pretty well covers all of them, right? Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. He says that we are to forgive each other, first off, because God has forgiven us. Guys, not one person in here deserved his forgiveness. Not one person in here deserved anything other than eternal hell because of what we have done against a holy God. God did not save one person in here because we deserved it. He saved us in spite of it, in spite of all we've done. In Christ, God's Son went to the cross for us to forgive us. The debt we've been forgiven of is eternal. Everything that anybody else could ever do to us is minuscule in comparison. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, I get that. But it's minuscule. If you go to Matthew 18, you see this parable that Jesus tells about the importance of forgiveness. But, but it, not only that, we also see uh, how Christ saved us, the way that God saved us. He did, not, he did not wait for us to deserve it. He simply offered it to us. Guys, the people in your life that have wronged you, you're not waiting on them to deserve it. You're simply offering it to them. That's real forgiveness. They don't deserve your forgiveness, but you didn't deserve God's. He gave it to you anyway. So you give them your forgiveness because God has given you His. You forgive because you have been forgiven. The amount of forgiveness you have been shown is nowhere... I mean, what, what you're offering is nowhere near the amount of forgiveness you've been shown. And your understanding of that forgiveness will be seen in the way you forgive the people around you. In the way that you offer them forgiveness. Your understanding of the gospel. You see, the Son of God went to the cross, died for your sins. The wrath of God was placed on Him for your sins. He gave up His life for you. And then he rose again on the third day. And he said, if you believe in me and trust in me, you'll have everlasting life. All you got to do is believe. That's the same forgiveness we ought to offer to everyone in our lives. And we'll be putting on, the, we'll be putting on the, the robes of Christ. We'll be putting on the new suit that God has given us. Hey, are you doing that this morning? Who do you need to forgive? What area of your life are you not looking like Jesus? What area of your life are you not putting Christ on? Put it on so people know who you are, so that people know what he's done for you. And if you haven't believed, if you haven't trusted on him, guys, there's nothing you could ever do to earn it. There's nothing you could ever do to deserve it. But he's willing to give it freely this morning. He says simply reach out and take it. Uh, ask for forgiveness and he will give it to you. We're, we're going to have a moment of invitation here in a second. And as we have that moment of invitation, we're going to sing. And as we sing, uh, you will have an opportunity to respond. And so I want to ask you even now, search your heart, ask yourself, God, where am I not living uh, out what you've called me to live out? 
Where am I not serving you where you have called me to serve you? Ask yourself if you've ever put your faith in him. And if you haven't, put your faith in him now. Let, let me pray with you, and after I pray, uh, we'll stand and we'll sing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to come and to, to share your word uh, with your people. I pray that you would strengthen us this morning, God, that you would guide us. God, that you would lead us uh, into a deeper relationship with you as a result of your word or as a result of your grace. God, that we'd be able to put on Jesus this week. God, that we'd be able to live as we've been called to live, that we'd be able to live out this new life we've been given. God, I pray that you would give us grace for the people in our lives, that you would give us strength uh, to show them grace. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bring them to know you. God, I pray that you'd use this time of invitation just to, to put into our hearts what it is you're calling us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stay.